0: Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, and I just got popped, man. Can you believe it? That's right. The good folks at Funko Pop have made me a pop again, and this time they called me a director. That's right. Finally, somebody said it. I'm a director. And guess what? I am director pop number 37. 37? I'm 37? That's right. You want a Kevin Smith director pop wearing a written and directed by Kevin Smith shirt? You go to Amazon.com slash Jane Silent Bob right now. That's right. Amazon has a Jane Silent Bob store, and you can find all sorts of fun stuff there. Masks, shirts, hoodies, and whatnot. But right now, Get your hands on one of these little Kevs, man. You can pop them anywhere. Lube them up and pop them anywhere you like, man. So if you're lost, ladies and gentlemen, and you're looking for a little direction in your life, Funko's got you covered. Order the Kevin Smith Director Pop. It's an Amazon exclusive, so you got to go to Amazon.com slash Jay and Silent Bob. Get yours now, man. Pre-order it, and you'll receive it December 12th. That's right. It'll ship just in time for Christmas. What are you waiting for? Get direction. Get the director, Kevin Smith-Pop, only from Funko and Amazon. Greetings, children, and dare you step inside the vegan abattoir? I am Kevin Smith,
1: and I am Harley Quinn Smith.
0: Yeah, we talked about it right before the show. We said let's put dramatic pauses <laughs> between each of our names. But well, I forgot you got three names.
1: I do have three names.
0: You know who has three names? Who? Assassins. Harvey Oswald, oh, Harley Quinn Smith, you wind up. You're, what, going, what? you're going to <laughs> Dallas. No. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like these connections here, man. A kid with three names you better stay away from the goddamn Texas library book deposit.
1: In the what is it? The
0: Grassy Knoll. Yeah, the grassy no knoll. No grassy knolls for you, man. That boyfriend of yours tries to convince you to go for a roll on the grassy knoll, you tell him no. I- History demands you say no.
1: I will not go for a roll on the grass, you know. <laughs>
0: um, in real life, we're mere minutes away from Harley uh, headed out to Texas. But as you hear this, probably Harley is already in Texas.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll be in Texas. Oh my
0: got future Harley right now could be listening to this show going, this all happened to me. Mm-hmm. And now I am in Texas. This and now the I'm parent. there. And the present.
1: It will be right like now that. we're
0: talking about the future, but soon it will be your present.
1: Wow. Well, that is how time recording. works
0: is your past. Wow. Right.
1: Time. What we a concept. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about um <laughs> The food that I'm gonna miss here in LA, the okay. vegan food.
0: Let's talk about the vegan food that I'm missing.
1: That I'm missing because I'm in Cause Texas right now. Diners. Okay, and so you know,
0: diner is everything you need. It's true,
1: but, but I just want to, you know, be nostalgic.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> food you, the food okay. I, the food I left behind <laughs> the by Harvey Quinn Smith. <laughs> this is. <laughs> These are the things that I would be eating if I was still at Los Angeles.
1: This is my ode to them.
0: <laughs> my vegan gold.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There's my vegan gold, which um, the Tom Yum noodle soup. I know you're not you just lost a huge soup guy, <laughs> but the Tom Yum noodle soup, the vegan quesadilla. But what I really am going to miss is Pura Vita, an Italian restaurant in West Hollywood in Los Angeles.
0: What's the dish they do that does it for?
1: <sighs> they have this carbonara pasta, mm-hmm. and carbonara is supposed to have bacon in it, I guess. Right? The real, per- the, the non-vegan sure. I'm version.
0: I'm, I'm, you could be right. I don't. I'm not the, I've heard of the term, but I never investigated it.
1: I never had a a non-vegan carb, carbonara back in the day.
0: Okay, but I don't know that I've ever had a carbonara at all. So you're one ahead of me.
1: You actually might not like it because the vegan version has mushrooms in it, but like little mushrooms that taste like bacon. I'm out! Like mushroom bacon. I'm still out, but it's so good.
0: Mushrooms are so fucking slimy.
1: I love mushrooms. Really different. I I would die for mushrooms. Yeah, you eat that
0: mushroom gravy?
1: Oh my gosh, I love mushroom gravy so much.
0: It's a fucking I- fungus, bro.
1: And. Mm-hmm. What's uh, this weeds and herb or what, or what is it?
0: it? I smoke it. You want me to smoke mushrooms? I'll do that.
1: <laughs> do
0: you I smoke mushrooms or eat mushrooms, right? But do the be... drugs? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That...
0: Can you smoke them as well? Is that possible?
1: You know, I am unsure I'm not well-versed in shrooms.
0: <laughs> I guess I should be proud as a parent, but i got to tell you, at well, this sport, as a 21-year-old, you can't give me more.
1: I'm options. sorry, I can't answer your question.
0: <laughs> what, uh, what else is going on in the world of veganism? We better slaughter some, misinfra- slaughter some, some. misinformation, butcher a little bullshit, or else...
1: I know, I know. I know. Um, like,
0: how is this vegan? Where are the issues? Who is the guest? Who is the guest this week?
1: <laughs> the guest this week is my friend Eddie Garza. He is a chef and he cooks a lot of Latin foods, Ooh. and then goes on on talk shows that are in Spanish and teaches people how to cook vegan food.
0: Get the fuck out of here! He's doing the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. He's, he's like, look, man, it don't have to be boring. Mm-hmm. You can make vegan food that's fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Check this out.
0: Uh wow, where'd you meet this guy? How's he your friend? You're like my friend Diddy Curry.
1: My friend. Um, I met him first at the Humane Society of the United States office, and he made he was making tacos. <laughs> I
0: thought you were gonna say he was making copies. He's like, I got an office down the hall. <laughs> I like to use their copy. It's free. It's your story.
1: <laughs> no, that was just not how I met him.
0: Um, he made tacos.
1: Yes, he made us tacos and they were so, so good. So he's an a lover as well.
0: Yes. He's not just vegan because he's like, that's what Oh,
1: he has a similar story to you, kind of. What well, well not a similar story. He made clerks? Mm-hmm. Yes. How did clerks? you know? <laughs>
0: well, I knew there was another guy there. I just forgot his name was Eddie Carson.
1: He lost 100 pounds. No uh, m- More than that, actually. Uh, what? He used, to, he used to weigh 300 pounds. On a
0: plant-based diet. hmm The fuck? See? It's possible.
1: So it was because of his health. But it's now for animals and and to to help other people.
0: What was he? So what was he doing at the Maine Society? Just catering? He He's was like, above animals, so I'm gonna cater this shit.
1: He was cooking us a delicious vegan feast. What were you doing
0: at the Maine Society? You're like mm, just hanging out, dogs,
1: <laughs> basically. <laughs> Uh, um, just, you <laughs> know.
0: Meeting people, getting guests. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Calling for guests. Um, I got another guest to put you in contact with, and you know him as well. Who? Steve, who now owns Little Pine.
1: Oh, Steve yeah. Bellamy. I yeah. know. Steve
0: Bellamy runs Kodak, man. So, And we always see him at, like, Crossroads, always at vegan joints one. He's a wonderful dude. And, you know, if you're in the film business and you're a director, He's always trying to get you to shoot 35 millimeters. Yes. Like, you got to shoot 35. <laughs> Quentin just did it. I know. He, he did it. Chris Nolan's just doing it. You know? like, I don't do anything worthy of fucking 35 millimeters. He's like, ah, oh, you're crazy. 35 millimeters. Worth <laughs> so uh, he bought
1: Little, Little Pine. Pine from Moby.
0: Yeah. And so he's, and he's like, he's got big plans for it. So he was texting me. I know he texts you as well. Mm-hmm. Going like, come on over for, did you go to Little Pine?
1: I know, but I did order their new food. I ordered their new food.
0: I, wasn't, I had breakfast there once on a Sunday. It was fucking tremendous.
1: It's so good. Great bread. It's a super small menu. but It's ma- super curated, but so good. Mm. One of the new menu items is watermelon. I mean, you won't like this, but watermelon ahi. Oh, no. So it's, it looks exactly like ahi tuna, I guess. I've never had it, but it looks exactly like that. <laughs> And it does not taste like watermelon at all. And it's very confusing when you eat it. It's a super weird feeling.
0: Yeah. Did you never eat ahi tuna back in the back?
1: I don't even think I really had fish. I don't even know if I had fish once. I had shrimp, but.
0: Daughter after my own heart. I've never had fish my entire life. Really? Never. I don't think I
1: have either. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty gross, also.
0: Flaky and shit. Just don't. Look. Don't eat any living thing, number one. That's probably a rule to start with, particularly if you're a vegan like us. But number two, like. Don't eat anything. Don't fucking taste good.
1: I would like to say this though, because a lot of (laughs) don't don't
0: eat anything. (laughs) Don't taste good. Oh my god.
1: the worst <laughs> models uh, slogans. Uh, should that be our new bio on our Instagram? Yeah.
0: Instead of like, you know, a, a girl and her dad. Don't, eat, like, nothing. don't eat nothing. Don't taste the Oh my You're god. I might
1: I might do that. Um a lot of people tend to cut fish out from their diet last when they're cutting out animals. But What I've come to learn recently is that fish is actually super, super bad for you, which makes a lot of sense because they carry so much toxicity in their skin because of the state of our oceans. And if you've seen a picture of our oceans, they are disgusting because we've ruined them and are so polluted and filled with so much trash and oils and chemicals. So, if
0: Uh, But the ocean's pretty big, and so there are a lot of fish that are unaffected that are still tasty to some people. Not me. I'm but saying, uh, not every fish tastes like fucking Exxon. Well,
1: you can't taste it though.
0: But the toxins. Isn't.
1: Yeah, the to- I mean toxins probably live in every single living thing. Yeah, but since the fish are living in this polluted water, then the obviously. It's going through their flesh. I mean, the same can be said about land animals. Fish
2: have the flesh, and the flesh takes the
1: You what? <laughs> the poison. What?
2: They
0: just don't have flesh.
1: I mean, what is it? The scales. scales? Well, not flesh, but yeah, I guess. But <laughs> what's their meat called?
0: I don't know. Fish meat. Fish meat?
1: Chicken of the sea. A, a chicken. <laughs> That's tuna, isn't it?
0: Yeah. What's the best tuna chicken in the sea?
1: Not sure about
0: that. One. <laughs> I'm just so delighted that you were not a fishhead either. Neither was I. No. But you ate shrimp. I did eat shrimp. So when we die and we visit the sea god, the shrimp sea god will be like. <laughs> It's he may live. Totally. He must die. And I'm like, we're already dead. <laughs> die in the sea he is another turtle. I'm like, I told you you shouldn't eat that shrimp. You should have listened to your mother. Oh well. Bye. That's
1: the sea god?
0: That's me talking to you. God. <laughs> At the end. Oh got god talks like this.
1: Wow. I have <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to meet the sea god
0: <laughs> No you don't want it Except i fucking shrimp, so
1: Maybe they'll shrimp. forgive or me Or she
0: could be an amorphous thing
1: True maybe they they'll forgive you. me
0: no the, forgive. no the sea god don't forgive You ever seen the, the sea, sea forgive <laughs> anything? <laughs> the sea Tidal waves, <laughs> motherfucking sharks <laughs> That's true <laughs> No way the sea don't forgive The ocean is the scariest thing in the world <laughs> But you bring up an excellent point When you're like why would you want to eat something that swims around in fucking filth all the time and stuff? And how sad that we ruin their environment, yeah, with our callousness. But how biblical, which I know you don't like, but still, we'll use another term: poetic or literary to uh, have people who are like, oh, I fucking love eating fish, but because I'm a human being who poisoned the sea now, I can't even enjoy fish anymore.
1: It's we true. It's <laughs> some revenge for sure.
0: Um, and then the sea gets its revenge when people go swimming and sharks are like, our turn. I'm
1: I know. Or when, like, the, the creature that has never shown itself finally comes out of the depths of the ocean. He's
0: talking about Cthulhu?
1: M- maybe. I don't know. Whatever He's it like is. Sleeps. Or that, like, scary thing from In Finding either. Nemo. Oh,
0: <laughs> um, oh that's uh, the big old thing underneath
1: the anglerfish thing yeah, is that really an outside? anglerfish yeah so scary but you
0: i think that's scarier than the fucking cthulhu C- cthulhu will invade your mind
1: i'm not honestly sure what cthulhu is
0: cthulhu comes out the ocean
1: what does cthulhu look like do you know
0: he's uh he's got like uh like an octopusy face <laughs> A lot of legs, tendrils. You've seen it.
1: Like the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean or no? A little bit? <laughs> really? Little bit, yeah, like like a human downstairs. looking guy with a box? Yeah, but you don't
0: look human and shit. I mean, here, riff for a second. I'll pull up a figure.
1: Is he gigantic? In my You're mind.
0: Tell like a fucking parent that you don't know what Cthulhu looks like.
1: In my mind, I'm picturing like a gigantic thing
0: coming out of the sea. Oh, you better believe he's gigantic, sister.
1: Like he's skyscraper.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know that you'll ever have context. Oh, okay, there you go. There's some context. Look at this picture. That's Cthulhu. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh
1: my god, that's so scary. Shall we shall we have Cthulhu on our vegan abattoir picture? Oh, so he's not vegan.
0: Yeah, he ain't no vegan. He's a but he's the revenge of the ocean. Hill. We're not fucking. Why are we talking about seafood? I'm, We're I I know sure. <laughs> Point of the story? Don't eat That's fish. You'll exactly. meet Cthulhu and it's <laughs> super fucking pissed. <laughs> anyway, man. Um, speaking of fish, you know who usually deals with fish? Who? Chefs. Nice. Nip <laughs> But you spoke to a chef, don't fuck with fish no more. Mm-hmm. You don't fuck with fish, fowl. Meat? He just makes things out of plants.
1: And they're so delicious, I can say firsthand.
0: Can we uh, listen to your interview with Eddie Garza?
1: Yes, you can.
0: Kick back and listen to Harley Quinn Smith talking to Chef Eddie Garza, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Thank you so much for being here with me. I'm so stoked to talk to you. And we also haven't gotten a chance to see each other in a long time. So I'm, I'm so happy to be reconnecting here on Vegan Abattoir and to hear what's been going on with you.
2: Yeah, you too, Harley. I am so excited to talk to you. I think the last time I saw you, it was at Mohawk Bend. I was there with my friend Nora, who runs a camp called Yay Camp, Youth Empowered Action Camp. And on our way out is when I saw you. And the time that I had seen you before then was a taco party that I was hosting at the Humane Society um, office in West Hollywood. So awesome to reconnect. Hopefully, we'll get to reconnect over tacos soon, but at least now I'm here <laughs> virtually.
1: I know. I hope so, because that was some of the best food I have ever tasted. And so I would really like to relive that experience again and and have more of your delicious foods. So every guest who comes on the show, I ask them to tell me about their vegan journey and how you got here. So would you do me the honor of walking me through your history with veganism?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my vegan journey started, gosh, almost 20 years ago. Um, so I think you might know that I was born and raised in South Texas on a border town called Brownsville, right across the the river that separates our two great countries. And um, it's an area that's plagued with a lot of problems, health problems. Um, I was one of the victims of those health problems. Uh, I you know, was raised in a very heavy meat eating family, like a lot of people who grew up in Texas are. And, um, you know, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough thing to understand back then. I mean, everybody did it. Everybody ate poorly. Everybody ate uh, kind of like the worst junk food from Mexico and the worst junk food from the United States. That's the beauty. And also like the interesting thing about growing up on a border, like in a border town, Fast forward to like the end of sixth grade, the end of elementary school, I was already what you would call like an obese kid, but, um, I didn't really realize it because so many of my peers were just the same way. And it really wasn't until after high school, you know, high school, gosh, by that point, I was already weighing almost 300 pounds and I'm only five, seven. Um, and I went to college and that's when I realized like, oh gosh, are like a lot of like well, first of all, lots of white people up here in North Texas and also lots of skinny people, and I was clearly out of place. But, you know, after I got there, I realized, like, well, something's different and I feel different and I feel like kind of ashamed, but at the same time, not really sure that I should feel ashamed. I just knew that I was very different and I got some dirty looks, ugly looks. And of course, during that time, I was also struggling with other issues like accepting myself as a gay man and also, um, you know, struggling to be a musician or uh, what I was hoping to be a musician. And um, so I pretty much ate my anxiety. I kept eating the foods that were the worst things that you could eat. I was known to go to the dining hall and eat just a plate full of bacon. I loved bacon and I would just mm. eat so much of it and things kind of like spun out of control after college. I started my job as a teacher that was my first career. I was a music teacher in a suburb in Dallas and I had a very crazy schedule. I lived in Dallas, but I worked in the suburbs, so I had an hour commute. My morning started at about 5.30 in the morning. And by the time I got to this suburb, 6 o'clock, maybe 6.30 in the morning, depending on what the traffic was like, the first stop was always this restaurant called Whataburger. <laughs> and uh, what was crazy, though, was that I ate a triple cheeseburger every morning before I started my first class. And oh, Wow. Then for lunch, I was known to basically just go to KFC. And I don't want to say I ate a whole bucket of chicken, but I definitely ate a lot of fried chicken during the middle of the day. And at the end of my workday, I had Papa John on speed dial and they had my number. (laughs) They had memorized my number and they knew what I wanted. I wanted a large meat lover's pizza. I was living this horrible, uh, unhealthy and... uh, totally not eco-friendly life because I was eating all that meat and animal products. And I was driving so far just to not live by my students uh, or my students' parents. But um, at that time, I just wasn't thinking about things. Anyway, fast forward to the second year of teaching. And I was tasked to kind of give the introduction to the new teachers who were coming in. And on that day, I met this one very special person who I still consider a very dear friend. Her name is Cherie and Cherie was from Pittsburgh and somebody in Pittsburgh in Texas is kind of like a, you know, she sticks out like a sore thumb in <laughs> many ways, but in one sense it was her, uh, ability to just speak truths without any filters in ways that a lot of Texan people don't. In Texas, you don't really like say truthful things to people. You kind of talk behind their backs if you want to say something. Uh, and on my first meeting with Cherie, I said, hi, I'm Eddie. And she said, whoa, you're fat.
1: Oh my and gosh. <laughs> I was
2: like, uh, um, What just happened? I turned beet red. I felt just sweat dripping off of my bald head and I could not believe that I had just heard somebody say that out loud to my face. But before I could even react she had a very fast response like, Hey, I'm part of this diet support group and you should join me this weekend. And being so embarrassed, I didn't even know what to say. I could tell she didn't do it out of malice. She had said it because she saw that I was clearly somebody who needed to to lose weight and get help. Mm. And I accepted her invitation. So that weekend I joined her and her friends, all strangers to me in this diet support group. And we went through this program where we basically just learned how to eat, not, not like a Jenny Craig style thing, but more like a kind of like what now is Noom. It's, you know, kind of learning what foods are good for you and what foods are bad for you. Mm -hmm. And the support group was really awesome because we shared a lot of articles and books. And the more I read, the more that we read together, we kept seeing that study after study found that people who were following a plant-based diet were the people who were the healthiest people. So we decided on that journey together, well, let's go plant-based. So we started the plant-based journey. Uh, It was a process that got me to think about a lot of different things, the environment, animals. And after about five years, I was a completely different person. I thought about the world in a completely different way. I had read enough books about the way that animals are mistreated in factory farms. I read about the destructive nature of animal agriculture in terms of the environment. Yeah. So uh, I had at that point also um, lost 150 pounds naturally just going plant-based. So it was a win-win-win. And from that point on, I knew that My calling was no longer to be a musician or a music teacher. It was to go and basically teach people how to eat better for the world, for animals, for the environment, and even to improve their own health. So I embarked on a new journey, uh, my second act of life, as I call it. uh, And I quit my teaching job and I worked and worked at Spiral Diner, which you mentioned on one of your podcasts previously as being one of your favorite restaurants.
1: Yes. I love it. There's so much. I was so excited when you, when you told me that you had worked there, I, I, I was like a full circle moment. <laughs> yeah,
2: for sure. When I heard that, uh, it's funny because I, I had messaged you like right before I heard that podcast. And then I sent you a message again, like, by the way, I used to work at Spiral Diner, but, um, let me tell you something really awesome. I think you're going to like Spiral Diner even more after I tell you this. Ooh. So I worked at Spiral Diner and the cool thing about Spiral is I went there because I thought, well, what I want to do is I want to build a restaurant and they're going to be able to teach me how to make this happen from the culinary end to, you know, the business side of things. And that's the reason that I had gone to Spiral to to work there, to learn as much as I could from James Johnston and um, Sarah Tomerlin, who was running the Dallas, um, the, the Dallas restaurant. Mm. And it was awesome because you couldn't even – like wait tables. If you hadn't finished reading diet for a new America and take the test so that anybody who comes into the restaurant asks you anything about veganism, you have the answer. What's wrong with factory farming. You have the answer. What's wrong with factory farming for the environment. And you've got the answer. And you had to pass this test to be able to even go talk to the clients. So wow. Yeah. Because of that book, I became an activist more than anything else. And at that point I was like, do I really want to do this restaurant or do I want to go and fight for animals full time? So that's what I did. I um, ended up leaving that job to go work for mercy for animals in New York. And then after that, it kind of all turned full circle back to where I came from. I moved back to Texas, worked for the humane society of the United States uh, and kind of working both my passions Working to help animals and also working on the culinary side. My job when I first started with the Humane Society was to go work with institutions in Texas, and I was largely working in South Texas to bring heart healthy menus to hospitals, school districts, and universities and other corporate contacts. And then from that point on, I shifted my focus to specifically focusing on Latino outreach or Latinx outreach to try to make plant based foods accessible. Delicious uh, to people of my culture. So that's where I am. That's where I am now.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. So many things I want to talk about from that. (laughs) First of all, such a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing it. I think it's so important on so many levels. Your story, everybody's story is important, but yours touches on so many different points of veganism because you clearly are a walking example of what veganism can do for your health and you know my dad was in a very similar situation when he uh, had his heart attack I made him go vegan and because he did decide to go vegan he lost over a hundred pounds and so a super sim- similar situation to you and both of you are just walking examples of you know veganism really does I mean it's it, it similar to a medicine or a, or a cure because it really does help fix a lot of health-related issues like obesity or any issues that come with that or or being overweight. And it's just so important that we share stories like that because a lot of people who are in similar situations who may be in a dangerous place with their health and they might not even know it if their cholesterol is super high. And, you know, that's that's a huge risk that comes with eating animal products and so it's so important that we share these stories because you just prove there is a cure and it's veganism and it's really a pretty great cure it's not like you know you're you're really giving up anything you you are able to eat these amazing vegan foods it's just not with animal products so you're helping yourself and you're helping the animals which is a win-win for everybody.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I do think it's important to share these stories because, you know, a lot of people who start, you know, the vegan journey and didn't have the opportunities that I had, the opportunity to go work at a place where I could learn more than just what it was doing for my health. uh, You know, clearly it did that. But I opened my eyes to so many other things that are important. You know, one of the things that I think... That really spoke to me from that book, Diet for a New America, is that I had read about the way that broiler chickens, the chickens that we use for food, not for eggs, are raised in a manner that they grow so large so fast that they can't even support their own weight. So when I see their pictures and when I think about their their lives and just their misery, it takes me back to my days because, you know, while I was still obese and while I was, you know, at that point, when my friend Cherie had called me out on being fat and that I need to lose weight, uh, I was in a, um, in a boot because I had sprained my ankle. I was constantly spraining my ankles. I couldn't support my own weight. So I think about those chickens every time you know, I think about my, my past. Every time I think about these chickens, like they're me, they were just, they're so big. They can't support their weight. And just the, the, the fact that, Factory farms do that to them purposely so that people can have their big KFC, you know, big buckets of, you know, fried breast. It's just, gosh, that that, it takes me like it makes me so angry and so sad. And also it just like, kind of amps me up to keep fighting you know
1: that's so interesting to hear you make that point because i actually have never heard anybody say that but i it's so awful so awful what we have done to you know change the makeups of animals like it's similar to chickens um you know humans have changed basically pigs dna so that their skin is lighter because people find Uh, you know lighter pork more appealing and so they have so many skin issues and you you know the the pigs at at animal sanctuaries have to wear sunscreen because their skin is not how it's supposed to be and so they get all these skin issues so uh, there's that and there's uh, so many animals are like that but that's so crazy to hear you make that connection between these chickens and what you were experiencing too and how how horrible that was for you to you know have all these issues with your ankles and everything and how unpleasant and horrible that it is that we do that to these animals and it's not like they get to have any time off it's like these right. or,
2: or I mean, any choice you know i mean yeah I, I made the choice to do that to myself, you know, maybe subconsciously or not consciously, but these animals don't have a choice. They're forced into the situation because of human need or human desire, not even need, but human desire to continue to torture animals and eat them for really not any necessary reasons.
1: Exactly. And it's so awful what we do, the, these poor farmed animals and, It's, you know, it's a terrible system that has been happening and will continue to happen for a long time. But it's people like you who are making a great change in this world and making the world a better place for animals. So we have that, you you know, as our our guiding, shining light. (laughs) We have these positive influences like yourself who are swaying the opinions uh, of many people and are able to, you know, make this place our world a much better and more compassionate place for animals. So hopefully one day we won't have to be having these conversations about these poor animals suffering over their bodies being uh, damaged and distorted and their DNA makeup being changed. That's so crazy what we, what we as humans have done. We've completely tried to alter species to benefit ourselves. And that is pretty mind-blowing to think about.
2: It is. Well, it's people like you also, Harley, who are doing a great service to the animals by continuing to talk about these things. You know, honestly, I've been now vegan for so long that sometimes I feel like I'm in this bubble of just kind of knowing and I forget what people don't know because I've been talking about it for so long and I've just known about it. And I run around circles with people who are also aware of these things, but there's a whole generation of people who still don't know what's happening. And you're talking to that generation. And I'm just so grateful to you and all the other young millennials. I'm now a millennial at heart, but not at all in my my medical record for for (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, we got to have it from all from all generations and all groups of people. We need to be providing this information so that everybody it's accessible to everybody. And I also, with that said, want to talk about you. You said that you are really inspired to bring veganism into an accessible place for Latino communities. And that's so important as well. And I think, you know, there's so much crossover or in- intersection between veganism and so many social justice issues like, you know, accessibility for everybody, um, no matter where you are, no matter what country you're in, what, where whatever it may mean, there are so many crossovers. And it's so important to be able to provide veganism to everybody, not just to, you know, one group of us, because that's not going to really make any change. It's all about making it accessible and available to everybody so that we can provide this information and then they can do something about it because if we're not bringing it everywhere then we're being pretty hypocritical because we're expecting people to make a change without them being able to or having the means or the accessibility to make said change
2: right yeah thank you for for bringing that up i You know, that's one of the things that I really love about my job at the Humane Society of the United States is that they have given me a platform to be able to go and speak to people of my culture who were largely underrepresented in the vegan movement. And one of the reasons that they're underrepresented is because there aren't really, or up until recently, there weren't really people who were speaking to my people in our language or in terms of like food, like our food language. Right. There's different things culturally that are uh, just ingrained in our beings, uh, just being raised in certain types of families. And there are all sorts of you know, socioeconomic reasons that, that veganism was not appealing or not even something that was doable. Uh, for a long time, the beginning of this vegan movement, uh, or maybe not even just the beginning of the vegan movement, maybe even as recent as like 10 years ago, we were still peddling a lot of things that were just not accessible to communities, um, to Latino communities or communities of people of color, uh, things that were just like not found at markets around there. Like when were you going to find tofu in a market that is, you know, in a food desert in South Texas, like just not doable. So it's been really awesome to be able to, to like, actually go and do the research, find out like what is available in this community, what is not available in this community, and what is appealing to these people, and why is there a certain stigma against, you know, soy protein in certain countries that were largely led by dictators and that was forced upon them, so they have these fears of these foods that were, you know, at, in their minds were linked to a dictatorship and not having any control or any say in their country. So how do you speak to those people and still get them back to health and kind of reframe their thoughts on certain foods? You know, my husband is from Nicaragua. That's also, you know, very similar to the problems that Cuba has and uh, Venezuela has. And when we first met, he... Could not be convinced into eating TVP because it was a food that was forced on him when he was a child because the government had so much control of what the people could eat. So they did always just kind of eat soy foods like the TVP the or the texturized soy texturized soy protein. And he hated it. It was like, for me, like eating jello, that time that I got tonsillitis when I was a kid and all I could eat was jello. Like, don't give me any fucking jello. I can't handle it. Like I don't want, so I've got that thing. Like even vegan jello, I'm like, no, that takes me back to that day that I, or to those days that I had to eat jello for like a week for my tonsillitis. That's how TVP was for him. So for him now he eats TVP and it's fine, but you know, those soy foods were so scary to him. And, and it's great to be able to have these conversations with you know, with people who come from those countries, those countries where they didn't have a lot of food options in general. And um, how do we feed them? How do we get them to eat plant-based foods? How do we get them get them to understand their um, the environmental impacts of what they're doing? And it's been amazing. I now get to speak to people all over Latin America. I I speak to them weekly on um, Un Nuevo Dia. It's the it's kind of like Telemundo's version of the Today Show. It's actually the exact It's like basically the exact version of the Today Show, but for Telemundo, which is a Spanish version of NBC. Mm. I get to speak to these people and show them how to make delicious foods. This past weekend, I showed them how to make a chorizo, chorizo being um, a Mexican sausage, but we made it out of chickpeas. And it looked delicious. It tasted delicious. The week before that, we did, you know, another amazing, amazingly easy dish. It was portobello fajitas. We made the fajitas look just like beef. And, you know, I got to talk to, you know, the public about, the problems with beef, like, you know, a lot of people didn't realize that fajitas, you know, besides being bad for the environment, like used to be used as like a sort of payment for essentially slave labor for people who were working in South Texas or in the border of Texas um, for the cattle ranchers. And they were given those scraps of meat, kind of like, here's the shit that we don't want. And you eat it, you do some, you do something with it. And that's how that dish came to be. So like when you go back and you talk about like, The truly racist or uh, problematic foods that we're currently eating and still celebrating, how do we reframe that thought? How do we get them to realize that, like, no, that was the food that, like, you don't want to eat? That's the shit that people didn't want to eat themselves and they're giving it to you. And that's how it's been amazing just to be able to see the difference that those kinds of conversations can actually spark, like, well, I want to eat more plant based. I want to eat more plant based. I want to do this. Like, this is now. I now deserve to also eat this type of food. It's very cool. I mean, it's very cool.
1: Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Thank you for saying that. I had literally no idea about that history of fajitas. That's so interesting to know. I mean, so horrible, but, I mean, extremely good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's so wild because there there is so much history behind the foods that we eat or, like, how we got here to eating the things that we do or you know with your husband that's also so interesting what you were saying how you know that's that's what he had access to and so after having it so much you, you don't want to eat it again it's you know there's there's only so many there's usually always an explanation behind everything and it's so crazy to think how all these systems got in place and how we did get to the point of, you know, genetically mutating these animals and wh- how we did get to normalize these things. It's so strange because they usually all come from a really terrible place. And although, you know, tradition and culture is so important, at the same time, it's important to be aware of of, of how we got here and, you know, how how these different things came to be and to have that awareness. And so... I think that's so great what you're doing and in, in you know sharing these recipes and explaining to people how you, how they can obtain veganism as well and not just be like oh yeah no it's possible you can do it too you're you're being like no i i i am saying you can do it but i am also going to literally show you how to do it so that you have this in your in your brain and you have this knowledge because knowledge is the most powerful thing and how are you supposed to try to influence somebody to change if right. they don't know what you know or if they don't have the tools to achieve what what you're asking of them it's it's a ridiculous ask
2: yeah absolutely thank you um yeah it's it's really knowledge is the most important thing. And it's something that's not afforded to everybody, you know, because, you know, a lot of the people who I'm speaking to are people who came to this country just to find a better life that is not run by a dictatorship. And a lot of these people are professionals who maybe were doctors in their own countries, or maybe were lawyers, and now they're scrubbing toilets just because that's the job that they can get here in this country and get paid a better wage than they were getting paid at home for being a, you know, medical professional or, you know, a legal professional. And now because of these jobs, they they aren't able to learn a whole lot of the systems that we have here in the United States that are already really super complicated for people who are born and raised and currently living here. Right. But imagine those systems in a completely different language than what you're used to and then trying to navigate all that maybe raising children, uh, having to have three or four jobs just to pay the rents, especially in a place like California or New York. Like, There's not a lot of time to learn about these things. So we got to take every opportunity we can to speak to them when they're available. So that's why I love doing the morning show because a lot of these people are watching that show super early in the morning, getting ready for work. And that's the only time of day that they get any really relevant information. So that's why I really do try to focus on reaching the masses on TV, on you know radio, any way I can where I can reach you know the people who are the the media is like where they get all of their information.
1: What an incredible person you are! You're just you know you're, you're taking so many different things into account and really being so considerate. It, 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 you just like exude consideration and compassion when speaking to you because you really are thinking about not what's best for you because obviously what's best for vegans if is if everybody thought like us and everything like that's our ideal world is just to be like um yeah i'm vegan can everybody else be vegan okay cool got it but you're actually you know thinking about what's best for everybody else and and how they can work this into their lives as well, uh, which I really don't think a lot of people do. And I need to do a better job of because I, I talk a lot about how there definitely are ways for veganism to be quite expensive, but there are many ways for veganism to be very affordable as well. And I always talk about that aspect of it. But there's also, you know, this whole relearning aspect, because if you're thinking one way for your entire life and know how to make foods from animal products you kind of have to relearn and reteach yourself and that obviously takes time and that takes money and um yeah. it, it takes brain power and you need a like focus and that's hard to do if you if you're living a very busy life and, and taking care of a family and everything so it's really amazing to hear you talk about taking all those things into consideration because i don't think enough people really do
2: Thank you. I, I do think it's getting better. I've been, <clears throat> I've been seeing a lot more people recently doing segments that I think are super great for communities in need, uh, at-risk communities. Uh, so one thing that I started doing that I really like that, like I said, I, I'm seeing more and more people do this, are plant-based recipes with ingredients that you already have at home. That's a really simple way to just get your foot in the door because Most people who are watching something want to go make that. And they're like, well, do I have this at home? If they do, they're more likely to make it. So that's something, it's a trend that I'm seeing that I'm loving.
1: That's a good idea. I'm going to start telling people about that. (laughs) Um, So I want to talk about, I'm wondering how you're able to, you know, still celebrate and, and honor culture and in tradition, while still veganizing your dishes, because obviously so many Latin foods have so much history and and are are such an important part of of the culture. And so, how do you maintain that while still, you know, trying to involve veganism in it and getting people to see that you can still maintain culture and, and celebrate it while also substituting for vegan products.
2: You know, it's actually very easy to, you know, continue to eat the foods that you love in all sorts of Latin cultures in a plant-based way. You know, my first cookbook that I wrote, uh, called Salud Vegan Mexican Cookbook, that book is really special to me for a lot of different reasons. My grandmother, who recently passed away, um, was my inspiration in the kitchen, and everything that I wrote in that book was like an ode to her. It was all the things that she had taught me, but that I veganized and put it into a collection of 150 recipes that also represented the 150 pounds that I had lost on my vegan journey. So it was like kind of a love letter to my grandmother. And in that I talked so much about the history of plant-based eating in Latin America up until Europeans came into those countries and introduced animal products which were not largely used in Latin America. The majority of the foods that were eaten, uh, you know, f- at least throughout Latin America were foods that were, you know, came from the ground. We're talking about corn, we're talking about squashes, we're talking about beans, all those foods that that are still the staples of the Mexican diet were really like truly the staples of the Mexican diet and the Latin American diet. And it was really when the Europeans came in that animal products started being used. Um, You know, Europeans brought the dairies. That's the reason like we have so much cheese now in Mexico. It wasn't the Mexican uh, indigenous people. It was the people from Europe that had brought the dairies and brought that cheese. Uh, Same thing with, the Spaniards brought a lot of different animals, uh, including pork, and that was largely um, uh, I guess it 's really all over Mexico and all over Latin America, but all of these foods were those European foods that are actually making Latin Americans sick so mm. there 's a really interesting history of food culture in Mexico, and i 'm speaking of Mexico because that 's where my family's from, and that 's the one that I feel closest to but it's interesting to hear stories about some of the best superfoods that we know like, you know, quinoa. Well, quinoa's quinoa sibling is amaranth, and amaranth is a Mexican superfood that was celebrated back 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 in the day, like indigenous times it was used by the Aztecs in rituals because it was loved so much. So when the Spanish Christians came in, they actually banned that food from cultivation because they considered it a pagan food. So some of the healthiest foods from Mexico were not even considered, um, I mean, it was illegal to to cultivate them. So that system of oppression came from the Europeans. Uh, Those foods that are also their own system of oppression is all European-influenced foods. So when I'd like to talk about, or when I talk about culture and talk about culture as, uh, you know, Mexican from Mexican immigrant parents, I always think about those dishes. Like, why is it my grandmother always used this? Well, because she was born and raised in a town that was like one of the colonial epicenters of Mexico. So that's the reason her food was so meat heavy and cheese heavy, because that's what she knew, because that's what the colonial cities were like. But if you go to the indigenous areas of Mexico, like even outside of Mexico City, you still see so much plant-based food as the natural foods. So if you ever go to um, Xochimilco, which is outside of Mexico City, it's a beautiful little canal. Um, it's, it's a little prettier, I will say, than the Venice Canal, which I live close to. Um, but it kind of reminds me of that same thing, like these beautiful boats. And you stop in different areas And you see the street food or the food that's like off the river and it's almost all plant based. Yeah. They'll have some meat options, but 90% of the food there is plant based. So it's very interesting, like from, from country to country, from neighborhood to neighborhood, you're going to see a vast variety of different foods and largely you're always going to see corn, beans, squashes as like the main thing that you can always get anywhere. It's fascinating. Um, same thing with, you know, in Colombia. When I took my trip to Colombia recently, it wasn't so recently. It was probably, I guess, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Gosh, this time is flying by. Uh, this I know. <laughs> Like half a year just flew by just sitting in a house, right? Um it was a while ago. And but what was fascinating to me about Colombia, in the two cities that I visited, Medellín and Bogota, I was actually there for a tour doing a plant-based version of the national dish of Colombia that ended up going viral after a food writer from Colombia came to Miami and tasted this dish and went and wrote like an an article that went (laughs) a national article that went viral there. But I'd gone there and did this version and what was interesting to me is that the foods in Colombia reminded me so much of the foods in Spain. It was still like the same fried foods, uh, the same fried, um, pork, uh, different sausages that reminded me of, um, like El Corte Inglés, which is a, it's kind of like a Dillard's or maybe a Macy's in Spain, but they also have an aisle where you can buy an entire pig leg. <laughs> oh. But, um, it reminded me so much of that, And after I left there, I I left thinking, oh, wow, like Colombia is completely different from Mexico. Like it's just so meaty and so meat heavy. And when I mentioned that to a friend of mine, a friend of mine from Colombia in Miami, she's like, well, that's because you didn't go to the other areas. Like it's just like Mexico. Everything's the same. You're going to have the metropolises that are largely colonial, and you're still going to have indigenous cultures that are still eating mostly plant-based. So I don't know if I answered your question, but...
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's it's amazing to hear you speak about everything, no matter what the question is. And you did answer my question. But um, first of all, I just want to say that I, I love that you made that book for your grandma. I think that's so sweet. And I'm so sorry to hear about her passing, but I think that is such a beautiful way to, to remember her and to honor her. And I just wanted to say I, I love that. Um also how cool is it that you made that dish go viral and and, you know (laughs) put veganism on everyone's minds how how cool is that and you touch so much on accessibility I think that has to be the theme of this episode because you you touch so much about like why was your grand Why was your grandmother m- making these dishes? Uh, it's because you know she grew up eating this, and and if you grow up and you're used to to something, then you're going to eat it. That's why so many people continue to eat meat because you just grow up and you're told like, yeah, no, it's it's fine, and milk is good for your bones, and uh, meat's healthy, and that's I mean, none of it's true, but that's just how we grow up, and then that's what we're led to think is that we're supposed to eat these things which is why so many people continue to eat it because we just don't really know any better until we're told and that is also just a part of the conversation of accessibility where or you know the way you're raised or your family is just like if you're raised being told to eat something you're gonna probably continue to eat it until you make a change so that's like that's 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 why the world is like this, really. That's why veganism isn't more popular. Just because I wish that there were more parents re- raising vegan children, and I can't wait to raise a vegan child one day. But unfortunately, that's just not really the reality.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough to. Yeah, gosh, there's so much to there's so much to talk about. It like go deeper. But you mentioned about you know, my grandmother doing what she, eating what she ate because that's the way she was raised and accessibility. And I, I want to go back to accessibility of even education, like right. something that still, I feel very privileged in so many ways. And one of them is that I'm privileged to, to have been born to a super intelligent woman and man, my mom and my dad are super smart. Um, my mother, was one of the one of the people in her family who was tasked to go to school when other people in the family are tasked to go to work because you want to save your smartest child to go and make the money for the family to to go learn and to go make money and that 's who my mom was. My grandmother was not that person. My grandmother, when she was a kid, was one of the people who had to go and work at um, i think her first job was working as a seamstress as a child and then her second job. Uh, still as a child was cooking and her sister was the one who got the education. So she's the one who now has a family who's got all these businesses and they're the privileged ones. And I was the privileged one because of, because of my mother being the the token educated girl. So gosh, there's, like I said, there's so much to talk about and like, and understanding the cultures, you know,
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's just so much behind everybody's story and, and, you know, why everyone is the way that they are. And accessibility is just something that really is also one of the cores of veganism or, you know, the ability to go vegan, um, yeah. which I don't think a lot of people think about. I don't think about it enough and I need to think about it more, which is why I'm so grateful that you're sharing this with, with the vegan abattoir Listeners and myself, um, but also like what everything you were saying earlier about food deserts and whether you, tofu can be found in your local grocery store, it's not like every single person is next to a Whole Foods. Like, that's just, that's such a false reality as vegans. It doesn't all have to be about these fancy things that are only available to some people in some places. Veganism should be accessible to everybody because some of the most affordable foods happen to be vegan. And that's such a big part of it too, to to continue this conversation about being able to make a vegan meal with what you have at home or what you have access to or what you can afford. It's not just all about these fancy LA restaurants or fancy metered cheese alternatives. It's it's about every form of veganism.
2: Yeah, yeah. I agree. Although we do we are thankful, at least I'm really thankful for what we do have in LA. The, Same, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> me too. I don't get me wrong. Very, very thankful. I have access to, to Crossroads Kitchen and, and places <laughs> like that. Um, but so I want to talk about your book. We, I, I, feel crazy only just getting to it now. But I, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. Um, tell me, tell me about your
2: book. So my second book. I'm super excited about because throughout my travels in Latin America, here in the U.S., coast to coast, until uh, COVID, I was traveling pretty much nonstop. That's one of the reasons we hadn't seen each other. Right. <laughs> because it's just so much travel. But it's incredible to go to different places and hear everybody's starting point. People want to know how they can start. Like I hear stories about people who want to go vegan, but they just think that they could never give up meat or cheese like full time. Um, I hear people say they tried vegan and they got sick. Or some people say, you know, I want to go vegan and I could do everything except for the cheese. And I always tell them, well, mm, you kind of don't have to give up cheese anymore because it's gotten so good. Uh, Vegan cheese, that is. So it was during my travels that I started documenting what people wanted, like what kinds of recipes are you looking for? Like, What are the things that would convince you to go plant-based for, let's say, 30 days? So that's what ended up happening. I ended up writing a 30 day meal plan that includes a hundred recipes. And I did this in collaboration with my friend and colleague, Lauren Pitts, who's a dietitian for the Humane Society of the United States. And Lauren went in and looked at all of my recipes and put them into an actual meal plan that made sense because I wanted to make it affordable. I wanted to make it easy. I wanted to get people the favorites that they were used to or that they wanted to eat, but I wanted to show them a plant-based way, but I also didn't want them to feel like they were starving because in so many meal plans that I've seen, people give up because there aren't enough calories in a day. So of course you're going to get sick. Or maybe people go on a vegan diet thinking that they're going to lose a bunch of weight and then they go to, say, veggie grill every day, which <laughs> we, will, we all wish we could do that every day, but like in reality, if you're going to go vegan to lose weight, you're not going to go get a buffalo chicken sandwich at, you know right. veggie grill every day. So um, the idea of this book was to make a meal plan that people could go 30 days and then still want to come back and do it all over again. So it's got plenty of calories. We looked at macro and micronutrients. Uh, we made it delicious so people don't have to give up their boys. You know, being from the South, I do like a po'boy. Uh, <laughs> so I have a cauliflower po'boy with an amazing, amazing remoulade sauce. And, um, and of course, you know, having lived in New York, I know how much people love their eggs Benedict. So I have a tofu eggs Benedict in there, which includes a delicious tempeh bacon, which has less than half the calories is bacon. And I wrote the bacon recipe because as you know, I love bacon still, but now I love tempeh bacon. And, um, you know, also from the South, I decided to add a sloppy Joe. I don't know if you know what a sloppy Joe is.
1: Oh, Uh, I do. That's actually my favorite food.
2: So uh, I included those types of favorites. And um, I also didn't want to, I didn't want people to feel like they couldn't have dessert. So I've got like cobblers in there. I've got donuts. I've got a blueberry cake donut with Meyer lemon glaze. And I've got as one of my, it's kind of like my homage to my days at Spiral Diner where we didn't have pumpkin pie, but we had sweet potato pie. So when you're in Dallas, you got to try the sweet potato pie. But my version is a sweet potato cheesecake because I love cheesecake and I love sweet potato pie. So I married the two. And um, what's exciting, like I said about this is it's a very easy to follow meal plan. We have all of the shopping lists for them. We've got 30 days of delicious meals. And in that, I also share stories that I feel like are motivational stories, stories about what kept me going, uh, why I went vegan and stayed vegan. I talked about how, you know, veganism didn't just help me, it didn't just save my life, which it literally did, but it also opened my eyes and my heart to the lives of all others. So I feel like overall it is you know, it is kind of like my complete story in a cookbook. So it is my love letter in this case to my mom and my dad, who I feel like gave me this amazing childhood to be able to, to explore what I explore. And they just let me live, be who I was, but also kind of pushed me to grow. And this is, this is that story, like how I went from this to this, and you can do this in 30 days, and you can keep going. And I want you to keep going. So it's in a really friendly tone. You know, that I heard your podcast with Tony and Michelle about their uh, friendly vegan cookbook. And that's one of the things I love about them, also, is that they are just so personable and just like so approachable, non judgmental. And that's what I wanted for this book as well. It's a non judgmental way to like dip your toe into veganism. Hopefully, after 30 days, you'll stick with us
1: well I think you are the exact same way as the I, I adore them too and I just think you are absolutely incredible and
2: you're sweet thank you
1: yeah of course but I mean it's true I, I this conversation really did open my eyes to make me think more about things that I usually don't have to think about which is always important to be to be pushing yourself and to be thinking about everybody, not just what your situation is, but everybody's situation and everybody's accessibility to to the topics that we're talking about or understanding or knowledge of, of the conversations we're talking about. And I think that you do such an amazing job at doing that, while also being so incredibly kind and and so friendly, just like the friendly vegan cookbook, and I can't wait to to read your newest book and make your recipes. That they all the foods that you said sounds so so good, and I can't wait to try them. And I I'm just so I'm so happy to have you as my friend and and in my life, and I I can't wait to to see you one day when this. Covid situation is, right. is over
2: <laughs> thank you Harley I, I, I hope to see you too uh, very soon we'll, maybe, maybe we'll have a taco party on my rooftop I don't know I, I live close to the beach so it could be a beautiful view and we can have tacos and watch the ocean and listen to music listen to I think we talked about the breeders at one point didn't we
1: yes <laughs> my favorite my, uh, my favorite band love them Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, I can't wait and I, I'll be there in a heartbeat. So, thank you so much for talking to me and I will talk to you soon.
2: <laughs> oh, talk to you soon.
0: God damn it, that whole thing made me hungry. I know. You know?
1: I want food.
0: I mean, I always do, but like listen to a dude talk about like turning inedible vegetables into something <laughs> that I might actually stomach. That's that's the lord's work right there mm-hmm. people like him are allowing people like me to be quote-unquote vegan mm-hmm. i am vegan i'm plant-based i ain't fucking I ain't, an animal product ain't passed this lips that i know of <laughs> uh, like since my heart attack mm-hmm. since i was in the hospital and they gave me fucking chicken nuggets and kid was like no yep <laughs> um so i'm vegan but i'm like not when you think of vegan you think of like oh this motherfucker's eating a salad
1: yeah neither of us are no neither of us live that life
0: but that guy makes my dirty vegan existence
1: possible possible
0: by being able to take a thing that i would like i'd rather fucking puke than eat that and turn it into a meatball Mm. or a taco a taco um talent
1: i do have i think some misinformation to slaughter but I'm also not sure if this is accurate.
0: So, is misinformation you want to slaughter or bullshit you want to butcher?
1: Um, Misinformation I, I want to slaughter. Fair
0: enough. You're not going in hardcore, really. No, no, You're no. You're going to no. learn my truth, man. No. no. Fair enough.
1: Just because you said the two words. Vegan and plant-based are not the same thing. What do you mean? They're not the same thing. Explain. Plant-based things are not always vegan, apparently.
0: For it's- example...
1: I think plant-based, and I still don't really understand, but I used to think they were the same thing and that they were interchangeable, but plant-based includes honey, I think.
0: Well, I include honey. I try not to, but if it's in there, I'll.
1: What about the bee video? Remind me. What about the bee video? I don't- <laughs> you do not eat honey. I don't really- Lest us not forget the bee video. <laughs> if you think about it, plant based is just, you know, based from actual. Oh, there's an ant on me but i won't kill it you don't kill it i won't
0: kill it because I i'm on the table time i spent like this morning 10 minutes there's nothing on this fucking table like i keep trying to explain to him like there's no food bro i'm way more clever than that.
1: maybe they don't understand
0: well they send out scouts there's so fucking many of them they're like you go check the high hills and i'm like there's nothing up there like fucking do it maybe and
1: they're, they're taking your weed
0: no, they can't get to it. And they don't seem interested because there are flakes of weed all over the desk and they like bypass that.
1: Maybe they're getting high in their ant
0: hut. I'm telling you what they're getting is taken right from my desk on top of an index card whisked to the ground behind me. <laughs> like, I, I spent so much time picking them up, turning around and putting them out. And I wonder what they think the whole time. Like, oh, my God, I was up there and then a gin- white thing came at me. I thought I was going to die. And then, <laughs> this big white Suddenly I was on another floor altogether and I saw other ants. We were all fucking confused. Yeah. Like, Who is it? What is it? What does he want of us? Am I like their God because I saved their life and shit?
1: You would. You would think that you're the ant god.
0: I'm not saying yeah. that I'm the ant god, but uh-huh. what they think I, as the person that saved their lives, I'm a human and they're probably taught from like fucking the birth, like humans are fucking bad. They step on us and shit. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's this giant human who's actually looking out for him. Wow. So I'm not saying I am the ant god, but I'm saying, Do but they look at me like a god?
1: You're also saying you are the ant god. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I am
0: the ant god. I wonder if they look at me like I am a god.
1: You have to say from vegan abattoir, I am the ant god. <laughs> yes.
0: Did you enjoy yourselves, ladies and gentlemen? Did you enjoy my humiliation at the bottom? <laughs> that humiliation and the show wouldn't exist without the person sitting across from me. Thank you. <laughs> Ant goddess, Harley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not want to be the ant goddess. I'm I fucking Aunt hate god. ants. You're
0: at least the ant princess, but
1: fine. If
0: you're be a, a, a S anything, go for God. Uh,
1: That's true. Bring, so. I'll be the ant goddess, I guess.
0: Look at you, begrudgingly take it. Good, because now that you got the title, I don't have to be ant god.
1: No, you are the ant god.
0: So clever. They're like, you did that to your only daughter? I'm like, hey, man i don't want to be the ant god
1: <laughs> it's the most undesirable that, title that's why i had her in the first place for this very fucking moment to take over she
0: had a good life fucking paid for everything you know let her be the ant goddess Until for
1: a while I she, was 21. She'll, she's
0: my kid she'll trick somebody else into being the ant god and then she'll be back
1: it's like a curse that you pass on pretty
0: much i'm like look out austin and <laughs> god so, um I, uh, well, I know you're in Dallas right now, but I miss you. I miss you too. (laughs) I'm looking
1: right at you.
0: (laughs) By the time this hits, you're already off in a foreign land. I hope you're doing well and quitting yourself admirably and and pursuing your dreams of, of, of a life in the arts.
1: Thank you. It's hard to juggle that while also being the ant goddess. But I big try.
0: Title. Big title, man. I try. That's an Angelina Jolie level of commitment because she was an actress and an ambassador at one point, right? She wow. was like a U.S. ambassador at one point.
1: Good for so her.
0: if she could pull off U.S. ambassador and being an actress, she could pull off actress and aunt goddess.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: wear it well. Thanks. Um, coming to an anthill near you. <laughs> Harley Quinn Smith, the aunt goddess. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that a little bit of misinformation was slaughtered we now know that plant-based and vegan is not the same thing
1: you're welcome
0: dangerously close though it's not like one is like one each chicken and the other doesn't honey is the difference honey that's it yeah can you be honey free plant-based but honey free
1: but then you're just vegan <laughs> 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 so what's the difference
0: <laughs> uh there it is ladies and gentlemen for vegan abattoir I'm a very baffled Kevin Smith.
1: And I am the ant
0: goddess. (laughs) Well done. Look at you, fucking wearing it. Well branded. Get out of our vegan abattoir.